and welcome to the Stubborn Optimist this week. I'm very excited. I'm joined by my friend and colleague, actually, Mr. Connor Woods. Uh, Connor is a, uh, well, among a number of things, he is a filmmaker, a writer, a freelance game writer as well, and also a subtitling copywriter. Isn't that right, Connor? Yes, indeed. Hi, Charlie. Pleasure to be here, mate. Thank you. Thank you again once again for coming on the show, mate. So, look, I think we're going to kick right off, really. I mean, we've had a good little pre pre podcast chat if you will which could have probably been a podcast all on, on its own but um mate, i mean look you, we've obviously you know we met through the the world of filmmaking and we've worked together you know uh, obviously you worked on our, our film uh, a little resistance and everything which still in production but we're getting still in production <laughs> but but i mean obviously that was delving very much into, I mean, you, you handled a number of roles on that film, everything from uh, first AD work to script supervision to camera work to also acting, actually. I remember you making a nice little appearance as a greased up uh, soldier. Um, so mate, look, how did you get into this, this field? What drew you to, I guess, the world of filmmaking is always a really interesting question for me. Well, you know, um, I'm from kind of not super country Victoria. I'd be considered a townie. But um, yeah, look, um, movies for me was always an escape. I'd watch them with my mom. I'd watch them with my dad. We'd go down to the Video Easy and get a couple films out. And, you know, I was swept up by it all. And, and you know, as I became a teenager and as I started to think about what I'd really like to do, yeah. you know, visions of the city filled my eyes and I started mm -hmm. to think that that's where I wanted to be and you know I got in the train uh, did my media degree since then it, you know it's never you just plug yourself in and away you go but I've had uh, I can't even count the amount of like unique experiences I've had as a direct result of being mm -hmm. a filmmaker as being someone that's involved in this kind of stuff so mm -hmm. I think it was just doing whatever came my way, getting involved whenever possible, and just trying to make a better product, um, no matter how I could, no matter what I was working on. Mm. I mean, and that, that, that very much is, I guess, the MO of aspiring filmmakers and people in creative fields. It's like, get in where you can, do as much as you can, and just stick around until, you know, either someone gives you a shot or you get pissed off and go do it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, 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 I mean, look, you're obviously, you know, you're working with a couple of our other friends at the moment too on a couple of interesting projects. Can you shed any lights on those or is it all relatively? Yeah, no, no, um, I'm, I'm happy to talk about them. Although obviously like nothing confirmed in terms of the final development products or anything. Um, I'm working as a writer on a video game called Nine, The Splintered Mind. So that's going to be, I think, Film Victoria funded, which is fantastic. Um, it's a, you know, neo-futuristic uh, noir detective game set in VR. Um, the guys I've been working with, they've been creating incredible scenery, incredible atmosphere, um, and what looks to be a really, really fun detective game. And uh, I've been jumping on board in terms of doing some writing for them. Mm -hmm. uh, outside of that, you know, some basic script writing, some basic screenwriting, um, you know, every now and then someone will come to me with a script or something they'd like done up. Uh, outside of that, it's as you've said, I'll take whatever comes my way. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, no, nine the splinter mind is that going to be what PC uh, console related gaming? Well, I think I think it'll be released through Steam. Um, so uh, for for you know whatever VR system that you might have, um, uh, and I, I'm not sure if they'll end up doing it as a pancake. Oh, sorry, as a 2D game. Um, I mean, we'll wait and see. But as for now, it's been developed uniquely for a VR scape, and it, it's really taking a lot of loving detail to try and develop a game for the platform that isn't, you know, uh, quite so budget in terms of the narrative. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Fantastic. Well, mate, look, I'm keen to get stuck right into, I guess, some juicy topics because there's oh, been yeah. there's been a lot that's happened recently since I guess our last film talk, which was with our friend and colleague, Mr. Uh, Robert Fantozzi. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, look, just before we do, I just want to touch on, obviously we had the, the tragic news of, you know, Mr. Chadwick Boseman passed away yesterday. Uh, for those of you that don't know, he was a star of many films, most notably uh, Marvel's Black Panther. Uh, mm -hmm. He was 43 years old. Um, he unfortunately um, was fighting colorectal cancer for the better part of, I think it was four years. Wow, yeah. um, and yeah, just for people out there, I mean, he's, he's been in some terrific films. Uh, one of his breakout roles was as Jackie Robinson in 42, mm -hmm. um, obviously Black Panther. Um, I mean, mate, this, this one hit home for me more than most. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know about yourself, but yeah. It was... Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, I think Chadwick Boseman had, had proved himself to be pretty important to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So like losing someone when they're 43 who's um, just been thrust into the spotlight, just been put into the position to be able to do the work that they're trying to do, you know, it's, it is heart-wrenching. And, and you can only imagine the kind of strength and the kind of perseverance it must have taken to battle through that and still be the, like, universally adored person that he was. Mm. Um, he was considered a, a professional, uh, a good person to be around on set and, and, you can only imagine battling that and being as performative and, and action packed as, as Black Panther was. Mm. Um, he must've really cared about the project or any of the projects he was working on to push through. So mm. I, I don't know. It's obviously, as you said, it hits, it hits pretty hard to think of someone who's only like 43, only really starting to hit the international spotlight and then is taken away so soon. Um, yeah. It's um, I think we'll all um, remember him fondly. Yeah. And I think, you know, for anyone else wanting a, a couple of films to, I guess, start to engage with his body of work, if you haven't already, uh, mm. two other recommendations on top of those other two would be, uh, he played uh, James Brown in, in Get Up, or Get On Up, I think it was called. And uh, he was just recently in the uh, Spike, uh, Spike Lee's new film, um, uh, The Five Bloods. Is that correct? I think. Uh, it's actually joint, Spike Lee's new joint. Okay, there you go. <laughs> um, but there you go. So, um, uh, again, very sad, but transitioning now to... Transitioning guess, across, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Staying in the realm of superheroes and movies still, there was the DC fandom, uh, what was it, like early last week, last weekend. This really blew a lot of us out of the water, didn't it? Oh, oh it was a big one. Big one, the fandom. Pretty, pretty impressed with DC. They came out batting. Um, I think, I hope, as a DC fan, I'm probably brainwashed, but I'm hoping that they're finally seeing what can be good about their content. Mm. Um, you know, 
put more focus on, you know, I really liked the first Wonder Woman. I think it was probably the best in the Snyderverse for me. Mm-hmm. So, like, focus on that, and, you know. Focus on... DC have always been great at this in the comic books, too. Telling stories that don't need to be tied to a central continuity. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because Marvel's playing that game doesn't mean that that's where the money necessarily is. You can make a Batman movie every two years. People will go to it. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking I mean, of... Yeah, yeah. So again, speaking of, because we saw a few things drop and, you know, where Marvel, like you said, has this habit of linking everything together in the Marvel universe and even with their their TV shows, you know, like Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Lucas Cage and Iron Fist, they link them all together and they bring it all, bring it all in. And, you know, DC, everything's a bit disjointed with DC. Their, their TV universe is one thing and it seems a little bit kind of, it's very much comic booky and very kind of cliche, but it, it hits home in, in a special way for a certain number of fans. And then they've also got things like, you know, I only put it together literally yesterday when I was watching Lucifer on Netflix. And I was like, this is a DC comic. Yeah, yeah, Lu- yeah. <laughs> I didn't even fucking realize. Pardon a my huge amount of people don't realize that about Lucifer. I think a lot yeah. of people get into Lucifer and start talking about it um, for a long time before they realize that it's a DC property. And the funniest thing, and it's Neil Gaiman as well. And, you know, the funniest thing about it too is that uh, it, once, you, once you know that, it's so obvious. It's in, <laughs> in the best way possible. It's there in the dialogue, the mannerisms. It's got that comic book feel that initially when I saw the first episode before I was kind of engrossed in the show that i am now i was like oh it's so like overdone and over the top and now i'm like oh it's so good i just want more (laughs) but it's um but i mean now what i sort of was really impressed by with the fandom uh not fandom as everyone keeps saying no as not as everyone has got it wrong myself it's in a dome it's a fandom you know thank you but what i was so impressed by was Obviously, Batman took the cake, but we saw the first look at the uh, Wonder Woman 84 trailer, um, you know, with the reveal of Cheetah and and Kristen Wiig, which was awesome. We saw some behind the scenes of the new Suicide Squad as well. And we saw the reveal of like the Snyder Cut finally, you know, coming out. confirmed. And and, like, look how much budget they're throwing at it. Like, it's it's clear they're redoing a huge amount of the special effects. They're redoing voice acting. They're redoing so much. You know, we we got black suit Superman in that. We got to actually connect to Cyborg this time by, you know, seeing the tragedy. Um, You know, (laughs) it was like, it was so just thrown aside you know in in the yeah first, and, and you know, that, that really that really ground my gears man i mean yeah. like cyber like i wasn't like you know uh cards on the mm-hmm. table i didn't particularly love batman versus superman i thought no, I mean, great yeah, idea, I and it. i think like, <laughs> cinematographically mm. the film at times looks beautiful yeah i do give it that but mm. equally, um, uh, I'm not not the biggest fan of it. That said, at least it had a vision, you know? At yeah. least it was directed. It was exactly. something. It wasn't made by a committee. Yeah. And, and I think as well, you know, one of the, the big things that really stood out to me was obviously the grade is a little bit different. The shot selections, everything. Oh, it needs to be different. Yeah. The original, the grade yeah. they released in cinemas is ridiculous. Awesome. <laughs> but one of the things I did love especially was I love my villains. And Steppenwolf finally looked terrifying oh yeah well um okay so this is this is something that i might be able to fill you in on because i'm a massive nerd right so what you're actually seeing is two different characters Uh so um they got i i didn't see steppenwolf at all and the characters i saw were dark side 
Uh, he he's like he's like the big the boy big in one. DC. Yeah. He's, he's like the their Thanos, Thanos yeah, which is funny because Thanos was based on Dark Side. It's a whole thing. Then it's the same, yeah. But you also saw in that trailer a fellow with a cloak up whose name is Desaad, and he's like the you know lackey. He's the mm. mutley to dastardly Dan for when it comes to what's his name, um, Dark Side. So the <laughs> yeah, exactly. They couldn't save Steppenwolf, mate. So they just fucking shoehorned him right out. They got to bang in a better villain. Right. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm, <laughs> it looks so much better um, because it looked terrific, you know. Um, yeah. I, look, it's exciting. Um, I'm going to not entirely hold my breath um, yep. because I've been hurt before. Snyder's yep. hurt me before. Yeah. Um, but that said, I'm excited for it. And it's a really interesting film industry thing. Mm, mm. Now, I mean, this, this is the other thing. I'm chomping at the bit to jump into the Batman, but I want to get the other ones out first so that yes, I can fair. have as much time as possible to go Batman. So, uh, look, the, the next one we saw was uh, Wonder Woman 84, which, mm-hmm. again, was terrific. What I really love about, like, I, and we said this uh, before and, and off camera as well, that Wonder Woman was, in both our opinions, the, the best of the, you know, the, the early DC films and the Snyderverse films, you know. Um, Shazam, I enjoyed, but it, it, yeah, it yeah. hit the same chord for me. I was like, oh, it's fun, but it wasn't like, oh, awesome. And, you know, there was, like, there was a lot of talk when Wonder Woman first came out. I, I think broadly everyone loved it and thought it was great. Patty Jenkins smashed it out of the park. There was a number of, look, for lack of a better word, uh, insecure white guys that were like, it sucks because it's a girl. And I'm like, just shut up, you know? Yeah, no, look, I'll agree with that. The the reception the film got, like, uh, from a vocal minority um, is blown out of the water by the numbers. It was yeah. hugely, hugely successful. I don't think DC expected it to be as ex- uh, successful as it was. It was a fantastic movie. And this new one, um, I've already heard the same group of people complaining, um, but... I'm seeing, you know, Wonder Woman's riding lightning with a you know, lasso. It yeah, looks so yeah, cool. It's cool. And, 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 you know, a big thing for me too is it is like uh, Gal Gadot or Gal Gadot, as they say sometimes, you know, um, pick, your, pick your poison, if you will. But um, <laughs> I loved the casting around this. I, you know, I mean, I think Chris Pine is already great. We've seen him obviously as Kirk in Star Trek. He does a great job. So him playing Steve in, in, Wonder Woman is, is an awesome choice. They love to play on this relationship and the humor and everything. And I really like it. He does it really well. He bounces really well off um, uh, Gal Gadot. And he mm-hmm. yeah. also helped combat a lot of that hate initially. Cause he's like, what are you complaining about? You know, which was awesome to see. And then what I love even more was Pedro Pascal slides in there. You know, he just did the Mandalorian. He's so great. Narcos, you know, we've got, Kristen Wiig, of who again, brilliant comedic actress, but is incredibly underrated as a dramatic performer. Um, mm-hmm. I think she's terrific. You know, she's always got this sense of she can be funny anytime she wants, but there's always this pain at the core of it. So her as Cheater, I think, is awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think it has a real chance to. You know, it's not necessarily going to shock and awe as much as the first one did but it will shock and awe in a different way that i feel it could be the better overall film yeah based off what i've seen you know uh, what dc did really well was they won the race to you know be the first one to have a big 
superhero blockbuster with a female protagonist. Yeah, this is the thing that has blown my mind, like, um, that it feels like, I don't know, like, this might just be me as a fan, but it feels like there's weird gears grinding against the Wonder Woman, like, character, and, like, why not give her the opportunity? It's the perfect climate, there's a huge amount of people that want this film, Um, it took them ages to make the Wonder Woman film, but she's one of their most important three characters, you got Batman, Superman, and there she is, Wonder Woman, and the fact that she, like, Batman and Superman got, like, seven films each before we threw Wonder Woman one, so... Like, I think hopefully the sequel is going to be about Wonder Woman kicking fucking butt left and right. I want to see lightning and flips and punches. And I want to look up to Wonder Woman as a superhero because DC, to me, they have a really good way of dealing with their characters like gods, like mythos. So Wonder Woman is someone that you aspire to, that you look up to, that can do those things that you can't do. Whereas Marvel is more about, you know, real people getting powers and the screwed up things that happen to them and Tony Stark and, you know, how hard it is to be Captain America. Um, I want DC to be, you know, a little different than that. We can do that with Batman, but Wonder Woman should be a hero. And that's, that's the thing, you know, Wonder Woman, she is a God, you know, for yeah. lack of a better word too. Um, and, and I remember when I first saw the film, you know, I, I sat there and I, uh, I did, I really enjoyed it. I loved it, you know, and I thought this is great. And I didn't sit there being like, oh, well, I'm a man. I can't relate. I was like, this is a great. Oh, God, no. And I'm no, so, it's great. and I'm so to anyone that makes that argument, I immediately, I'm like, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't relate to you. I can't connect to you because it's such a reductive, you know, uh, perspective to have on something that has been so important, you know, seeing young girls, even young boys running out of the cinema after being like, I want to be Wonder Woman. I was like, yeah, you know, good to see but yeah, I mean, this is something on it too that, you know, you, you made that point earlier of Batman had seven films, uh, Superman had about seven films. And I know that they were like, well, Wonder Woman had a series, but I'm like, but it's not the same. Not at all. It, no. It, it, any way, shape or form is not the same. And I think what Wonder Woman managed to achieve that, you know, the, the most recent versions of uh, the Batman with Ben Affleck and Superman with Henry Cavill didn't achieve was it, like I, I enjoyed the first Man of Steel, um, or oh, sorry, the only one we've had so far. But all the <laughs> yeah. other times Superman has shown up and and Batman has shown up in that universe they've constructed, I'm like, they they're not fleshed out. They're not, mm. you know, uh, interesting kind of rounded individual. It's Wonder Woman that is bringing so much to that. Yeah, um, look, I I think um I, I it's not so much that I'm one of the kind of comic book readers who needs it to be my Batman. That's fine. If you've got a Batman that kills people, that's fine. I actually think that people getting their their stuff twisted about that whatever. It's a different Batman. He's only going to be here for 2 hours. Chill out. Um I think the problem you've kind of touched on is the fact that like the actual consistency of the characters is really hard to follow. Like I find it hard to understand what's in their head at any given point. Like what's, what's happening to them. Whereas Wonder Woman shows up and and she's exactly who I expect her to be. She does exactly what I expect her to do because her character has been communicated to me effectively. Mm -hmm. And you saw a great example of that, even in the first film when she's given that choice between, you know, uh, spoilers, but you know, save <laughs> spoilers the love for Wonder Woman. Yeah, you know, <laughs> save the love of her life or defeat the bad guy, and it's like mm-hmm. good, you know. And we, you know, you see that in other films, but it's never to the same degree. It's always like, oh, very clearly, there's a way that I can do both. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, 
she actually has to make a decision and she realizes that maybe she can't do it. So she grapples with more complex human emotion in this two minute period than some you know, films do in its entirety. And that's a credit to Patty Jenkins. Um, but, you know, sort of, I guess, stepping, pivoting from Wonder Woman now. Pivoting, yes, yes. Going across the Suicide Squad, which is, mm. uh, we saw now, this is something I was saying to uh, a friend of mine the other day too. The choice to bring James Gunn in, I think is genius. Yeah. Understanding, he is very, very good with ensemble cast. Ensembles, exactly, yes. He knows how to get the best out of everyone and give everyone their 15 minutes of fame and their moment in the spotlight. And they've gone balls to the wall with this version. I think there's like (laughs) nine billion villains or something in this one. (laughs) Well, just from like, just from a scan, my nerd brain was overloading. I was seeing Polka Dot Man and King Shark. I I don't don't even know that much about Polka Dot Man, but he's already... Besides besides King Shark, because I have a soft spot for anything with sharks. I loved street sharks growing up. And he is essentially just a street shark. Yeah. No, and I was like, it's just a street shark. And I'm also in love with the fact that he like bites someone's head off and then he smiles. And I'm like, it makes me happy. So Yeah, that's nice. And I think um, something that I've seen developing is they've, um, DC, when I say they've, have been pairing um, Harley Quinn and King Shark. Uh, a lot in media. So um, not only in this film, but also in the Harley Quinn TV series, which is R-rated. I definitely recommend that, by the way. Jason Alexander's up in there. you got a huge amount of um, voice talent and, you know, really really recommend that um Mm. the video game suicide squad has also paired her with king shark so it's three properties in Mm. the last maybe five years that have all put her next to king shark and it's a really interesting pairing Mm. because obviously they don't have like a weird like sexual relationship they don't have any kind of like hang-ups they just seem like two psychopaths that work well in proximity to each other exactly and and who is playing king shark in this in this rendition oh god you put me on the spot mate i do not know um that, I'm I mean, using my giant brain to look yeah, it up. Yeah, no, no, that's that is okay. I mean, because it's just like what I, I I can't recall the origins of King Shark. Um, oh, I've got no idea, man. Like, um, I just I I'm familiar with him from the yeah, idea of like they, they, they he's just around. Think- pulling him out of nowhere and they're like you're in you know and i'm like yeah it, it, it's like they didn't get what they wanted out of killer croc and they're like all right all right we'll try again we'll exactly <laughs> yeah if a person succeed pivot to the next apex predator yeah what's the next marine based apex predator man that we can yeah. put in here uh yeah i'm actually surprised they haven't done solomon grundy yet yeah, um true. because i feel like he'd fill that role quite well but i don't know maybe they're holding him in so there you go. So so Steve Agee is uh, is the actor. He's, uh... oh, I have something interesting though uh, to reveal about the voice actor for um, King Shark. It's actually um, uh, I think the Samoan, the Great Samoan. He's a, 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 a famous wrestler, Joe Samoa. Let me double check this. I don't oh, want to yeah. feel like an idiot. Ah, there you go. Steve I mean, Agee. Yeah, 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 yeah. Steve, Steve Agee, yeah. But I, I, I think as well, while, while we touch, while you sort of do your little research, I'll, I'll <laughs> running. But I mean, it, it was really fascinating. They've, they've really assembled not just a, a really good cast, but a really diverse cast. You know, we've got, there's comedians in there, there's theater actors, there's A-listers, there's wrestlers, there's personality types. 
thank God, no offense, they got, but like, thank God they got rid of Cara Delevingne because Enchantress was fucking trash. Awful. Look, I, I like, I'm not gonna hang my entire opinion um, on the woman off that performance, but no, that um, it was, it was she was given a, do- a an absolute dog pile of a script. It was, it was, it was a dog's breakfast. Like the, the. Th- Oh, God. I'm very, very happy that they're moving away from it. And like you said, I'm very, very happy they're getting James Gunn on board. He is fantastic with ensembles. He understands that every character has to have their own unique relationship with every other character. Um, I'm really, really, really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Um, And it's going to be Samoa Joe, by the way. Samoa Joe is... Oh, Oh, great. Okay, yeah. He's brilliant. Um, yeah, so like it's awesome that they've got podcast as well, all about wrestling. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, perfect. Well, synergy right there. I know, but so it, it's it's interesting as well because um, it really seems like DC kind of took stock, took a step back, and went, "All right, guys, we've tried rivaling Marvel. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked. We got to kind of go away, lick our wounds, rejig some things." Mm. let's not just rush something out there before it's ready and and have it half-baked let's really work on the script really work on the story really identify the filmmakers we want and why and let's do it all again because taika watiti's in this film too oh really so they're 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 really going to the help us fix our comic book film people yep and and so (laughs) taika watiti is in this film and i have a subtle suspicion i may have read something somewhere too but not only is taika watiti in this film but they are going to pair him up for another film down the line whether it's the flash or something i just have a feeling it's a little bit like hey come be in our film and then we'll give you a film to go and <laughs> done the new thor with lady thor you know once the marvel's done then we'll make you the helm of ours and we'll just have a well marvel did james gunn got into the galaxy so we do you know suicide squad james <laughs> You know, uh, Taika Waititi does, you know, Thor over here. So Taika Waititi does Polka Dot Man over here. Like, God, no. <laughs> Look, uh, sounds like a good film to me. I mean, I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, my, and uh, quickly, because we're almost there. We're almost at our favorite time. Black Ooh. Adam. That dropped yes. too. I, look, I love The Rock. I think it'll be cool. I, I like the idea. I wasn't impressed by the trailer. It's just my personal opinion. It wasn't really yeah. a trailer, but I was just a bit like, uh, I don't know, you're giving me some kind of knockoff Shazam vibes here. I'm just, <laughs> just not feeling it. Look, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, they've done, I feel like they might have like felt the need to drop it perhaps a few months earlier than they should have. Yeah. Um, that kind of animatic, although it is kind of exciting to a degree for Black Adam diehards, mm-hmm. um, it's not really going to do much when you've got like six other like full length, like spectacular trailers for different properties that have been developed over several years. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, Dwayne Johnson as Black Adam, I think is great. It's a great casting opportunity and he should be in these films. It's weird he's not. Mm. Um, It's weird that The Rock hasn't been in a superhero film. But um, I think um, Black Adam itself, I'm not sure if they're doing, like, I'm still not sure if it's, like, attached to Shazam Mm. or if they're doing, like, a villain-led superhero, like, Superman, but he's evil kind of movie. It would be very interesting. It would be unique to have a villain-led comic book series, you know. 
Yeah, well, look, I think um, DC need to do unique things. And like you said, they've gone away, they've licked their wounds, and they've kind of realized that. Rival Marvel because it just doesn't work? No, it just doesn't. It doesn't because, like, it, it's obvious. It's obvious to every consumer. Mm. And now, I think we're here. <laughs> All right. I think we're at the moment. I think we're at the moment. The Batman. Matt Reed's new film due out in 2021. There is so much to unpack here, not just from a cool, what's this story, comic book fan, no book, but from a filmic standpoint, from yes. the cultural references. I watched a couple breakdowns on this and did my own research, and I'm, I'm blown away. Also from the acting and the cinematic standpoints. I mean, I don't know where to start, so I'm just going to let you take it away, and then I'll <laughs> jump in because I'm a bit like a kid in a candy store. In this yeah, case. you're boiling over with this one. Look, um... I was thrilled to see it. Um, you know, it, it's no secret to most Batman fans that we've wanted kind of a return to this style. Mm. Um, not, it, You don't always need to take Batman seriously. I'm a big believer that he's a character that can work in many different ways. You've got Batman Brave and the Bold, which is a great take on the camp version of the character. But um, I really like to see the gritty Batman. I think that, like, the filmmaking style from Matt Reeves is so obviously... Um, respectful of but different from Nolan's so you get like a few shots like a few shots I uh, pegged like specifically car shots that like remind me really quite a lot of Nolan's composition Um, equally there are a lot of like really well done action uh, uh, sequences and fighting sequences or at least the one that we saw was very competently done and I feel like that was something that could be quite confusing even in the Nolan films Mm -hmm. is the actual hand-to-hand combat was also always very explosive Mm -hmm. and it always ended very quickly and it wasn't like a man fighting another man it was like one force wiping out the other force and I really like the idea of doing like the detective Batman you know he's on the street and he's working with Gordon and he's trying to figure things out he doesn't just know he's trying to figure it out and I, I think it's exciting I, I'm uh, please yeah. take it from me but, but well, I think you know to unpack quickly the it's you know a lot of people are like hang on what's what's going on this is not an origin film this is not a year one Batman they very clearly yeah. come out and said this is year two year two yeah had his origin he's you know done it for a little bit now he's got some idea of what he's doing but he's still figuring himself out and then from there, it kind of unravels so much. And, and, and we see so much, you know, um, what I really liked about it was I felt that it was, there, were the no, there was the nod to, you know, uh, Nolan and all that sort of stuff. Mm. I actually feel it's darker, which is mm. great. I love darker. I love it. And it, 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 it's darker in that it's grittier. Nolan had a, had a sort of an overarching dark but realism kind of approach to it like how does it affect the entire world um yeah yeah very very distant kind of view of it all yeah this is a darker grittier very intensely personal it feels like you're constantly over his shoulder and we even have that shot at the end where we hear all the voices and we're like we're right there and it's claustrophobic, and i think that's done deliberately which is camera work at its finest um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i feel that it is a more that 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 helps it be a darker turn you know we see bruce and it's weird to say bruce and bruce Bruce on the street and you know in the it you know in the trailer we see that car nearly hit him as well and you know we we get that emo shot of batman and we're like oh that's weird but we're also like but that's great it's like goth and it's like a bat (laughs) all this great stuff and the fighting sequences are awesome and 
you know, I had that initial misconception of, I was like, oh, these goons, oh, they're, they're Joker goons. Okay. They're not Joker goons. No, no, no. No, no they no. are definitely not. No. Um, so I thought that was really good. I, I'm still a bit like, I'm not sure. I think they're penguin goons. Is that, is that right? Or okay. They're... So, so um, I think the, some of the major thrusts in this one are obviously penguin. And um, by the way, have you seen the makeup on Colin Farrell? It's absolutely out That's of this world. Big, yeah. Incredible. Um, but yeah. And Paul Dano is the Riddler. Mm. Um, so not entirely sure exactly who the goons were corresponding to, but, um, having just rewatched Jim Carrey's, uh, Riddler, um, I think two nights ago, I rewatched that one. I'm very much looking forward to a more grounded, uh, performance of that particular character. I mean, that was very reminiscent of the, the 90s blockbusters, wasn't it? It was like, let's make Oh, it. yeah. Like, like um, there's something that I'll always refer to, which is like 94, 1994 was the year of Jim Carrey, right? Yeah. And number one. massive massive like exactly which is like almost unprecedented so like that idea um that he is like absolutely just indicative of the 90s blockbuster i think is is, is a very very good point of course of course i mean so because here's the thing i think when colin farrell was cast as the penguin we we're like oh it's gonna be a really suave kind of penguin all this sort of stuff like we didn't quite understand the choice we now see and you know, the only word was, it was, everyone missed it the first time. And now we've gone back and we're all like, holy shit, you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting when they pick someone who is quite handsome and does look like this and then turn them into that. Because I think some people say, well, why wouldn't you just get someone who looks like that? Well, clearly there was a very particular view that was had by Reeves and the, and the team to be like, no, 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 it needs to be Colin Farrell and we'll make him look the way we need him to look. He's, look, I think he's like a, an incredible actor. I really, really think he has like a, a phenomenal, a phenomenal talent. I really, I'm very, very happy for it. I mean, um, the Penguin, when he's kind of grittified, is normally grittified as, um, you know, a mobster. And mm. if you're going to do um, a mobster in the Gotham that they've showed us in this trailer, mm. I imagine he's probably quite a, you know, for lack of a better word, hard-nosed villain. Yeah. <laughs> And and I think as well, you know, it's that thing of Colin Farrell has always been a star, had some rougher periods, but, you know, has forged these incredible relationships with people like, you know, um, Yorgos Lanthimos with mm. the lobster and, and yeah. um, you know, uh, the uh, not Farewell, the, the, um, that film a couple of years ago, The Favourite, I think it was, he was in that too. A couple other things, you know. Um, well, of course, he was in Daredevil, um, yeah. Fantastic as Bullseye in Daredevil. God, that was trash, bald wig. <laughs> well, um, I mean... Look, um, look I, I am a massive fan and always have been of Paul Dano. I know that is yeah, sure. shocking to some people. I'm glad to see him finally getting uh, on a on a broader scale. He's going to be brought into the mainstream for people that don't know who he is. Paul Dano is an incredible actor with a very mm -hmm. unique look who, mm -hmm. you know, reminds me a bit of like, you know, he's got the acting chops of your Christopher Walken and your Steve Buscemi, but he's his, you know, he's, he's somewhere between the both of them. He can do both ways, you know? And what I love about this Riddler that we've seen so far, obviously for anyone that hasn't seen Paul Dana's work, um, you might have seen him in Prisoners, you might have seen him. Yeah, there will be blood. Yeah, yeah, there will be blood, of course. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, Incredible actor, but his version of the Riddler already, this, like you said, the grittier look, I was like, oh, I've been crying out for this. And I also noticed, not sure if it's intentional or not, 
bit of a subtle nod to the Zodiac Killer. Yeah, okay, maybe. I, look, I think there's definitely been a huge intent to make him reflect exactly that kind of killer. Um, it, yeah, yeah, here's why. Because, one, he's wearing yeah. a very similar outfit, like in the hood style with the, with the glasses and the eye holes that, you know, the Zodiac Killer was renowned for his murders in the 60s, um, early 70s in San Francisco. Uh, two, if you look at the cards that he posts to Batman and everything, and the taunting where they have a cipher at the bottom. Ah. Um, and so apparently someone has figured the cipher out already, which says, what does a liar do when they die? They keep lying. Um, so little subtle spoiler there. Subtle, um, subtle bit of riddle there. Exactly, exactly. But uh, on top of that, the fact that he is mocking, uh, not just the police force, but the Batman as Specifically well. Specifically the Batman, yeah. And almost like he knows who he is. This was something that the Zodiac did to the main detective and to the police department of Riverside and all these areas in San Francisco for a long time. And mm -hmm. whether it's intentional or not, this kind of homage, inspiration, whatever it is, is thrilling to me because it is going to launch us into a whole new, you know, kind of understanding of, of villains. You know, this, this could be the first mm -hmm. time we've had a villain on the same level of darkness, realism and grittiness since your, you know, since the Joker, Bane was great. Tom Hardy's Bane was terrific, but slightly more, you know, departed from that kind of darkness, if you will. Yeah, it, it doesn't provoke the same kind of like, almost like grim curiosity that like uh, Heath Ledger's Joker like created for so many people. And um, I think you pointing out that idea of um, the Riddler uh, being sort of based off uh, serial killers, specifically the Zodiac Killer, who have left clues and riddles for detectives in real life is, it's so natural and it's such an easy thing to do. Like with the Riddler, I've always found it a bit perplexing. I understand that his image was somewhat corrupted with the green question mark and a lot of people think of him as the green guy, but like he's someone who has an obsessive compulsive like need to prove his intelligence and need to find the truth. And I think these are really compelling things for a villain. And, and as you said, Paul Dano is an incredible talent. He's essentially, it's like Daniel Day-Lewis woke up in Napoleon Dynamite, mm -hmm. right? And he's, he's, he's an incredible actor. He's fantastic. So seeing him in this, this role is hugely exciting exciting and i mean this is something i just want to touch on quickly because this mm. this cast that they've got in this film is nothing short of incredible <laughs> so we have robert pattinson leading the way as bruce wayne slash batman who i already think has knocked it out of the park just based off this trailer i have no yeah. doubt he will very quickly if not i love christian bale as batman but i feel like this could surpass it in my book that's just me yeah yeah we have you know Colin Farrell as, you know, Oswald Cobblepot, the Penguin, Paul Dano as the Riddler. You know, Andy Serkis is coming in as Alfred. Andy Serkis as Alfred. How crazy is this? Are they going to animate Alfred on top of him? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> um, you know, uh, funnily enough, I actually ran into with my partner in San Francisco earlier this year when they were shooting Venom Part 2. And I was sitting down, we were eating dinner, and I turned around and I was like, holy shit, that's Andy Serkis. He's like, go say hello. I couldn't. I freaked out. He was with <laughs> and everything, but I was just like, oh my God, you know, that was pretty cool. We, we just kind of stared at each other from across the room and I kind of gave him a subtle nod on the way out. Nice. I'm sure he knew what that meant. I'm sure. Yeah, he... <laughs> we friends. Cool. Um, and finally, I walked 
we walked 200 meters down the road and the first thing we came across was the new matrix set so there you go oh, yeah wow. we got to be in the background of one of the shots accidentally I, they probably won't use it but still um peter sarsgaard playing you know district attorney jim uh, gil colson john Turturro's carmen falcone jeffrey wright as james gordon a host of other great actors but one the other big one that i think we're overlooking here and i've somewhat deliberately left this till the last because i think she's yes of course yeah and stunning is Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle slash Catwoman. Now, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, I think is a perfect choice. I, a lot of people were very quick to be like, oh, interesting, they've picked a girl that looks a bit like Halle Berry and they've gone back to this version. No, 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 no. This is a completely different departure. And I think it's brilliant. Uh, I like the choice. She's a great actress. She exhibits, I think, naturally the type of swagger and charm and deception and all these sorts of things that that character needs. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's the same with the choice of Robert Pattinson. Left of center choices that I think are really, you know, uh, just highlight how great and how much thought has gone into this adaptation. Yeah, they imply a direction, you know. It's mm. like that the person that they've chosen for Gordon isn't just you know, the the easiest, like, Reddit result for who would be the great person to play Gordon because they look like who's in the comic books, right? They've picked someone who can bring something really special to the role, and the same goes with Kravitz. I mean, this might be the first version of Catwoman ever that I actually believe could have a relationship with this version of Batman. Like most of the time it it feels impossible that Catwoman and Batman would stand on a roof with Batman in his full gear, wind and cape blowing in the wind and they kiss and make out or whatever. But like this idea that they're both like weird street like criminals like batman's a vigilante so he's a criminal as well like that idea that they're like right down on the street level and they are bizarre people that dress up and and go through the night i think it might be a little bit more believable this time i mean knock on wood but we'll see (laughs) kind of sounds like me on a saturday night (laughs) um but uh you, you know i think on this too we're kind of seeing uh you know there's there's been another couple of sort of rumors popping around that uh, we're going to see a Gotham City Sirens film featuring mm-hmm. said Catwoman of, of Zoe Kravitz and Harley Quinn as, as Margot Robbie and Poison yep. Ivy. Uh, from my understanding, I'm not sure if it's been cast yet, but the, the name being floated is Anna Diamas. Who Anna was Diamas. She was in Blade Runner 2049. She played Joy. She's in Knives uh, Out with the main actress. Cuban actress. Uh, she, she's incredible. I... She's also my celebrity crush, so I'm completely biased. But you know. um, <laughs> because it it makes me want to touch on. I don't know if you saw Harley Quinn and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. Uh, very long title. Uh, what did you think of this? Because I saw it with with my partner, and I I understand what they were trying to do. I just felt like it was a little bit like, let's fit as much into it as quickly as we can. And it lacked. Yeah. Look, I I actually. On the narrative, it had all the whiz bang effects and the jokes. It just didn't have the story. for me. Yeah. I I actually, I didn't end up seeing it. I was so burnt from the last suicide squad movie. And I, and I really felt like I understand why they made this movie. Um, like, I get why Birds of Prey come out. Um, and I am interested in Harley Quinn as a character. Like, before, I'll plug her new animated TV show, her R-rated animated TV show. Go check it out. It's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that said, I feel like it's just a reaction to the first Suicide Squad film. Yeah. And I think and like... the bed, look. <laughs> and it's like... Uh, yeah, it's like, look, look, she's independent. And look, look, she's like all that stuff that we got wrong in the first film. And look, look. Um, but I feel like I wasn't sold that it had as much like narrative intent behind it. And this new Suicide Squad, it looks like it does have like a good amount of direction behind it. It looks like it's a story that's not just a reaction. So look, I'm... I'm going to cast my eyes in that direction. But in terms of the, the sirens, I mean, um, I think there's a market for it. I like Poison Ivy as an anti-hero character. I think she's got a huge amount of flexibility and like would be great on the big screen. Mm. Equally with these team ones, I really think that they should maybe just like take their time and make, yeah. you know, yeah. a movie about the people involved first and see yeah. if it pans out and then maybe do a show. They're, they're jumping the gun a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of those things where, you know, Marvel took that approach where they didn't just grab all the main heroes and blow them up. They were like, we're going to make Iron Man a thing. And everyone's like, but Iron Man's a big star. It's like, Iron Man wasn't a big star when they did Iron Man, okay? Iron yeah, he was big comic book fans, but he wasn't like, he, he wasn't was, the one that you were checking out the lunchboxes for, you know? Exactly. Iron Man was a risk. The only big one that, you know, they really had was your, your Spider-Man. And, and yeah, which they sold the rights to. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I would love to see uh, a, a sequel to Man of Steel because I, I enjoyed the last one and I just want to see another gritty take on Superman because I feel that things like Superman and these type like, it's inherently, you know, kind of camp and cliche in the title, Superman, you know, I'm like, mm. you know, um, but I just would like to see it. Like, I like my dark, gritty things, but I'd like yeah, to Yeah, look, I, I definitely appreciate the take of enjoying dark stuff. I would say if that's the case, like, we should, like, if you're making a dark film, just don't make a Superman one. Like, yeah. I, I, I think there's better characters for Snyder's style. I think if he was given a, a independent Batman film instead of an independent Superman film when he started off, I think that style would have worked better. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Superman works really well as, like a beacon in the sky through which the characters you're actually following look to. Mm. So like, you know, I really like if you did a flash movie, I'd want there to be Superman for flash to look up to. You know what I mean? Like uh, I don't really normally get too invested in a story if it's Mm. entirely about Superman. Now that said, you know, the original Christopher Reeve Superman, if you haven't checked it out, it's absolutely fantastic. And it does inspire those feelings Uh, equally. There's some great comic books, but, um, fair enough. Uh, I've often felt that before too, that perhaps Superman should be dealt with um, yeah. for modern audiences as, you know, perhaps an antagonist or an extreme um, hurdle, something like that. Yeah. And it looks like we have, you know, uh, we're going to have the Flash movie coming and it's got, like they did say today that the Flash movie will feature both Ben Affleck's Batman and Michael Keaton's Batman. Yes, it should. This is something I was um, talking to our mutual friend Robert about. Um, I really believe that the only way to redeem this version of The Flash is to make him a dimension hopper and to 
introduce formally the idea that there is a multiverse and there's lots of different ways to look at these characters, lots of different versions of them, and a film that just bounces between the DC properties and like honors them and respects all the different versions of them. You know, if they do it correctly, it could have the same effect on their audiences that Enter the Spider-Verse had on Spider-Man fans. Yep. So I think it, I think there's good potential for it. And I guess very, very quickly, like, do you think because uh, Matt Reeves came out and said that this iteration of the Batman exists in a universe where the Joker doesn't exist. So cool. do you think this will be a standalone Batman or will we get a sequel? It's very early days, but you know, mm. people wanting that Joaquin Phoenix, Robert Pattinson crossover aren't going to get it at this stage. Yeah. And look, I think it's foolish to want it. I think you'd be like ruining your dinner a little bit by mixing it together. You know, like I just, I, I think, the Joaquin Phoenix um, you know, vehicle proved that there was a desire for these films to be standalone or exist independently or approach these characters like with a, a more character focused aspect to them. Um, I don't care for the Joker right now. I've got a lot of Joker content. We've got a huge amount of Joker content. We've had a lot of Jokers. We had a like Joaquin Phoenix versus Jared Leto to me was was a major improvement. So you know let's finish on a high note for a little while. Let us breathe for a little bit. I was very scorned by Jared Leto's. I had high hopes and the whole time I was like, oh, I feel like you're just uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, well I think it's pretty complicated. Look I I know for a fact that he thought he was going to have a much, much larger role in the movie. Like, uh, like you can see it in his eyes in interviews and stuff before, like, it was released. Like, he's talking about all the work he's doing and all the stuff he thinks is going to happen. And then it's released and he's like, the Joker has a diminished part in this one, but you'll love it, guys. Um, that said, I still, I didn't really love it i feel like it was a little too focused on like surface level antagonism and shock and had nothing to do with like like proper psychoses or proper fractured psyches um but you know like to each their own i would never take it away from anyone i'm not saying you know jared leto should be thrown exit the in the street you know but just not for me no that's exactly it and i guess yeah. all right so now pivoting from we've we've i feel pivot, like pivot covered the fandom and, and the world of superherodom. Um, mm -hmm, yes. guess, you know, this is another thing though. Movies in the time of coronavirus means that we haven't had a decent cinematic release really of, of, of 2020 so far. <laughs> you had a couple facts for me. Somewhat sad. Yeah. <laughs> the box office smash hits of this year so far, which are... <laughs> okay, so... Um... Interestingly enough, at number 10 mm. is Tenet already. Okay. Right? It's already at number 10 for the entire year. Um, but, hey, not too surprising. <laughs> you know, it, like people are, you know, it's early days. Um, I don't think many people in Victoria, uh, where we're uh, recording this, are going yeah, to be no, rushing out no, to the no. cinema. Yeah. Um, there's a couple other titles that are like reasonably good. You know, I heard that the new Invisible Man was really strong. That um, so good. that's on the list. That's at number six. Um, but as we get a little higher up the list, it starts to get a little bit interesting. Mm -hmm. So um, even though it was considered a, a, a bit of a flop, um, Birds of Prey was number five. So okay. very interesting that a studio would be disappointed in the fifth highest grossing movie of a year. <laughs> um, I, at number four was was Doolittle. 
was was Robert Downey Jr.'s smash hit Doolittle. Now, if we do, now, I don't put too much stock in the old, you know, Rotten Tomatoes or anything like that. But if we do take a little trip over to Rotten Tomatoes to see what uh, you know the general audience thought of it, it does have a fourteen percent, which is not <laughs> great. I mean, which is fourteen percent better than zero. So, we'll get a- <laughs> but, uh, yeah, some people seemed to be able to stomach their popcorn while they were going through it. So, really weird. Um, there was a film called The Eight Hundred which is a Chinese historical war drama film, which I haven't heard of at all. Um, But I think that's just like the bubble of the market that we sit in. Um, And then we're up to the big two, the final two. Number two, second highest grossing film of 2020, uh, coming into September, is Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, Which is understandable blockbuster of the ages there was so much hype behind it they like really really pushed it um i did not watch it i am a video game enthusiast and i don't mind sonic but it was all a bit much for me i'm just glad (laughs) that we did the eyes even though i never planned on seeing it Uh, you just so that the promotional content wasn't so alarming to you no that's um they were looking out for you there and number one highest grossing film of 2020 is bad boys for life Makes sense. Um, uh, I Little don't boys that want to go see a good movie, so it makes sense that they'd show up. <laughs> That's true. It's only bad boys that are in the cinemas right now. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, but I, I just thought it'd be interesting to reflect on how different the the top ten film list looks for us right now. There mm-hmm. are like quite a few films that are scheduled to be released and they're all just kind of sitting on the diving board, perched up there, ready to jump off as soon as everything goes back to quote unquote normal. Um, But I think for a long time, 2020 is going to be looked at, um, obviously for the coronavirus, but also as the year that um, Bad Boys for Life uh, swept the nation. Swept the world, really. Swept the world, indeed. Not the only thing sweeping the world. Like the coronavirus, the bad franchise swept the world. (laughs) Uh, Indeed, indeed. And and I guess, you know, looking forward now into 2021, we obviously have the Batman, we have a lot of the DC films, Wonder Woman. Yes, yes. But what else do we have? I mean, Tenet hasn't been pushed, thankfully. We're getting that at the moment. And that mm-hmm. looks truly remarkable. I know some people are like, it didn't get good reviews. I'm like, it's early days and don't listen to them anyway. Like, if you- yeah, exactly. It's like, especially with a filmmaker like Nolan, like you go in and you watch it and you, you judge it on its own merit. He's got a lot of directorial vision and like, I trust that like, you know, it's going to look incredible. So and, and- uh, in terms of what to look forward to though, I mean, there's a huge amount of stuff that's come, like, because we've got this backlog, you've got... The new Ghostbusters film, new Fast and Furious film. There's a Godzilla vs. Kong film on the horizon. Mm. We've got, what, Jurassic World Part 97 or whatever it is. <laughs> no, i got to admit, I didn't see the last one of those. I did see Jurassic World. It was something to eat popcorn to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, 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 I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see, I guess, uh, some of the, you, you know, Australia's response to it with us being, I guess, a, a bit of a filming haven. Hopefully, we'll start to get the early releases of uh, things like, I don't think Avatar, the next thing someone will be ready yet, but hopefully we'll start to get the, the things like um, the Lord of the Rings series uh, will hopefully drop next year. Um, that's currently shooting in New Zealand, uh, all things mm-hmm. from the coronavirus. 
We've got Baz Luhrmann's new film, The Elvis Biopic on the Horizon. Um, you know, so th there's, there's plenty of things going on, really. I think there's probably a Star Wars film somewhere in the... Somewhere. There's always a Star Wars film coming always out. Always something in the works. But, <laughs> but I guess, um, yeah, mate, I mean, it, it, it just kind of makes me, you know, think about this because in this time of lockdown and being stuck inside, a lot of people are turning to their television sets to watch things, you know, whether it be movies, series. Um, I found myself getting a little bit, I guess, square-eyed and a bit exhausted by it all. I was like, I just don't know what to watch anymore. I just, yeah. I can't watch a crap series. I can't watch a crap movie. So <laughs> I'm, and I'm not even ashamed to admit this. I started watching just a little bit of reality TV. Um, uh -oh. But only one. And yeah. it's the best of them all, but The Bachelor. Um, oh, dear. Oh, dear. This is the only time that I get to sit in my bed knowing that I'm loved by my partner and judge a, a bunch of randoms and feel a hundred percent, man. Like I'm not, I'm not going to judge anyone for enjoying something. Yeah. Um, that kind of trashy content, you know, we've got uh, married at first sight in Australia, that sort of thing. You know, people absolutely adore it. Have you been getting all your, getting all your judgment out? You've been shaking oh, all those judgments yeah. out. This season is the worst amongst <laughs> them. These are just, I think there is one maybe somewhat sane person and the rest of them, are batshit crazy and it's just a nightmare but, but you know i mean the, the reason why i bring this up is because it's hard sometimes now in this world of streaming with so many options to just find one thing to watch one good oh, thing yeah. to watch and be able to invest in it so i guess i want to open this up in terms of when you want to get into a particular genre what are the recommendations you would have? Um, you know, I didn't give you time to prepare. So whatever comes to mind comes to mind. But, you know, off the top of your head, what do you think is good in, you know, say people want to get into the action genre? What's a film uh, or a series? Well, straight top of my head, I go straight to something like Mad Max's Fury Road. Mm -hmm. um, the reason I go with uh, Fury Road is because a lot of people, when they're getting into a genre... Uh, find it difficult to go back to older films. Mm. Um, obviously, the action genre, if you really want a classic action movie, go chuck Die Hard on. You, you really can't go wrong. Yeah. Mean, it's been said a million times, but it is like a very, very, very tight film. But mm. if you are getting someone into the genre, it may be smarter to start with something a little bit more current. And I think in terms of what action is, Mad Max really encapsulates that quite well. Mm. Mm. And, and, and it's the same with things like horror. You know, I found myself when I wanted to get into horror, I didn't really want to get into horror. I was kind of forced into it, you know, but, <laughs> sure. but you know, it happens to all of us. And, and the, but the way I got into it was uh, the conjuring series, uh, James Wan. He just, he knew how to do it and it, it, it made it entertaining, you know, and to sort of to drag me in. And then I started going through the rest of them and the insidious and the lights out and all these other ones, you know, um, uh, I guess in terms of, you know, we talk about drama series or adventure style series, you know, you've got your Game of Thrones, you've got your, your big film series as well, like your Harry Potters and your Star Wars. But I guess what's something a little bit lesser known that really stands the test of time, whether it be, you know. So are you talking just like adventure, you know, leaving half and home and going out and conquering the elements? Like, I, I don't know if it flies under the radar, but if you want to check Labyrinth out, it's a pretty great story. That's a great film. 
Yeah, I mean that's um that's a. I was watching that recently, actually. I purely uh, because I, I, right. I grew I grew up with uh, Dance Magic Dance, you know, uh, <laughs> Magic Jump. But, oh, but the first time I saw Labyrinth, it it scared the crap out of me. Oh no, yeah, I was the same. I showed it to my partner recently, and she sat sat there and was like, "What the fuck is this?" And I was like, but look, it's a talking caterpillar. And she's like, oh, what an asshole. They like told her to go the wrong way. And I was like, but that's the point, you know? That's the whole point. Um, I suppose, again, maybe the trap I've fallen into there is recommending something that's like a little bit older. mm. It doesn't have that like new slant to it. mm. I guess um, it's difficult in terms of like brand new films to check out. Like we've already covered a lot of the like, you know, superhero films, that mm. sort of thing. If you're looking for something easy, I would go Coco. That's a family-friendly action-adventure yeah. film. Yeah. Very, uh, a really strong protagonist, introduces a whole a, a gamut of different culture yeah. uh, to, to certainly uh, Victorian boy me. So, yeah. um, you know, Much like cool. Moana kind of flew under the radar. Well, Moana didn't, but, you know, Coco really flew under Coco the radar. definitely did. I really feel like it. Um, that one really slipped by people. Mm. I, maybe people were sick of that kind of thing, what with Frozen and everything going on. But no, nah, that, that, that's, a, that's a film I'd recommend that's really like, light and like harmless you know mm. um, i really enjoyed frozen 2 actually i thought the music was the music was really terrific and and another one that's recently came out it's on disney plus is onward onward oh, that was yeah. really really beautiful and touching in a really wonderful way uh onward uh it was going to be released in cinemas due to coronavirus it kind of got you know put onto disney plus Right. We've seen them, you know, they did that with a couple other things too. They're now doing that with Mulan. I talked about that with Rob on the previous podcast. Um, you know, I guess a great way to get into certain filmmakers, if you will, you know, or like things like the the war genre, you know, Saving Private Ryan's a great one. Um, oh, yeah. Or Ridge, you know, and then really go back and watch your full metal jackets. The Thin Red Line's probably the greatest example I have of a realistic war experience besides maybe Dunkirk. Um, yeah, I suppose in 1917, most recently for me, oh, was amazing. Like, yeah, I, I I I took the time and I saw that in IMAX, and it was heart wrenching. Mm, it was a it was a really mm. moving experience. But if you if you can't get that invested, but you are looking to get into the war movie genre, if you already mm. like your action movies, mm. you know there's plenty for you there. Um, I would absolutely uh, suggest that you check out Apocalypse Now. Um, mm, not exactly cool. like a, a new suggestion, but that's definitely one to check out. Mm. And I guess like in terms of, um, action movie, like war movie parody, mm. um, you can go and check out Tropic Fun- uh, Thunder. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's a really good point that you've made there too, because, you know, I, I was kind of finding there was, uh, because I think it was because Tenet was released, someone from the age went back and did like a, a ranking all of, um, Christopher Nolan's films and I didn't agree with their ranking but I thought it was interesting because there were a few that I didn't know about like Insomnia and obviously I knew but Insomnia terrific the following is first film uh the press yeah yeah Mm. and I checked out following following's it quite interesting and Nolan doesn't really love it but I thought it was it's definitely an interesting film and uh, Memento is an incredible film that one still holds up and is a really really interesting film Mm -hmm. and it you know it is something where I'm I'm not ashamed to admit it. I've I've watched it a couple of times. I need to go back and I mean I started watching it again the other night uh, because mm-hmm. if I'm not fully on, I can't take it in. It is one of those films, you know. Um, yeah. 
Some other great films, I guess, you know, for, for the, the comedic kind of dark genre would be your three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seven psychopaths. Um, and then I guess more in your, you know, um, I guess you'd say more recent sort of thing. Like Denis Villeneuve, I think is a terrific filmmaker. I love what he does. Um, the dark sort of stuff, you know, he did uh, Arrival, uh, Prisoners. He's now doing oh, the right. Dune remake, yeah. which is going to come out next year. He's doing the what? Dune remake. Really? Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Remaking interesting. Um, yeah, okay. So that's interesting. It's got Cara Delevingne in it, actually, and Timothy Chalamet. No wonder you know about it then, right? Okay. Well, no, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> mate, I mean... It's it's really interesting with the the world of film and, and cinema and the current state of it. I mean, I sometimes get a little bit sad by this automatic kind of shift towards let's make money and let's make something that doesn't need to be original. Let's make a sequel, prequel, a prequel to a sequel, a sequel to a prequel, a something, something, something. Yeah, you know, established um, audiences, established audiences. Yeah, you know, like... Gone are the days where really in the 90s before we had the luxury to the degree now that we do to make an entire film without ever having to go to a location. And we only really have one film or two, which is Christopher Nolan, who will still go out of his way to kind of make things with practical effects. We, we've lost the art of storytelling in some, in some way, it feels like. You know, everyone's very much like, let's not tell an original story anymore. Let's not make an original blockbuster. Let's just slap some guy or some girl in some spandex lycra and kick him off a boat and you know (laughs) yeah look and it's sad because it's um you know it takes two to tango the consumer Mm. is also a part of the problem because you know they continue to make money they Mm. continue to make huge dumb amounts of money Mm. and people are so scared not to be a part of the zeitgeist not to be a part of chatting about the films and seeing the last film even if it's just a crap on it Mm. that like you know like i i've you know i didn't see the last suicide squad i haven't seen i didn't see uh, batman versus superman um and someone in my environment and having not seen those is it's mm. a source of constant difficulty mm-hmm. um because like i'll get into conversations high with people about DC content mm. uh, what's that mm. high treason if you will yeah how dare i how dare i have not seen this film even though mm. everyone that saw it told me it was bad yeah <laughs> Oh, like I, I want, I, I want a return to those times, Charlie. Desperately, I do. I want mm-hmm. a return to the time where you'd make a film, and then afterwards, if it was successful, mm. you'd consider perhaps making a reboot. Um, mm. I feel like a, a successful film now is marked as a green light for a sequel, mm. not evidence of a good director. Mm. Or made a shitload in the box office, but not necessarily because it was a good film. Just. Had the yeah, I'm pretty sure Jack, like Adam Sandler's Jack and Jill made money. Mm, like mm. that made that, that film made money somehow. That, I mean, I mean that actually leads me to a really good point. This this kind of another different type of pandemic, but the or the epidemic, if you will, but the uh, the 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 epidemic of B grade comedy movies that just keep getting made. Oh yeah, like, like you know we kind of we made the our last of our sort of funny somewhat movies with things like yeah adam sandler and a couple other things in the 90s and then all of a sudden we hit the early 2000s and we're like oh we're gonna you know with the exception of things like Step Brothers and maybe blades of glory and and bridesmaids those kind of 
style genre comedies, we just started being like, uh, here's Eddie Murphy as some other type of person. And here's, you know, Eddie Murphy as another type of person. And here's Robert Downey Jr. as Dr. Doolittle. Yeah. Here's, um, yeah, I mean, it just, it, it really felt like they just stopped putting, like the, the Holmes, uh, Sherlock, uh, Holmes and Sherlock or whatever it was that was done with John C. Riley and, and Will Ferrell. I mean, these guys can usually smash things out of the park, but this, yeah. this was a bit of a miss. It was the same with um, Get Hard. And it was really interesting when I was talking to a couple of um, people in, a, in America about it and the, their audience and how they consume things. And they were like, oh, it's so funny. It's hilarious. You've got to see Get Hard. And I watched it and I got 20 minutes in and I was like, this is the fucking worst thing. <laughs> Not funny at all. And I gave it another 20 minutes and I was like, this is hurting to watch. Why did this get made? And why is it making money? We, you know, and then it's not like I can sit here and be like, well, Australia is so much better. No offense, but we make a, a comedy and besides the castle, nothing's really been funny since. It's like uh, Kenny. Well, sorry, Kenny. Kenny was terrific. Actually. There you go. We've yeah. got two. Come yeah, on. So there's a couple of exceptions <laughs> to the rule, but like one of, and this is where I always kind of, shake my head in not shame just like confusion and disbelief with with the australian film body that they go oh we're gonna make a new film we're gonna make our own australian film about an australian story and it's gonna be really important it's gonna be really good and what do they do they made spin out yeah and a lot of people <laughs> don't even know that and i don't know what spin out is exactly why would you spin out is basically i'm gonna read you the synopsis because I, I, I don't All like right. to tell me about tell me i about don't like spin to shit on films but i just feel like the assets <laughs> really could have been used in a better place when ute driver billy takes one risky cast on too far lucy declares she is moving to the city sending billy into a spin oh so basically it's a story about people growing up in a rural australian town and this is what living in country australia is like oh they do this okay so one thing that is like i understand it's the experience of a lot of people in this country but equally the experience of a lot of rural people in australia is not being on a big red flat thing like a, exactly. a lot of people are sure, but there's a huge amount of dairy farming and cattle farming and sheep farming and plenty of other farming that goes on through mm. like green countrysides and hills and stuff. So the very the, first thing I'm seeing on spin out is a, a lot of red dust and it's yeah. annoying me. Yeah. It's like kangaroo Jack and red. Now red was a touching <laughs> film. That was good. But some of these other films was trash, but you know, statistics actually show, I think, the majority of Australians don't live anywhere near the Red Desert. They might no, live in no, a rural area. It's like 83% of the population lives along the coast. Oh, yeah. It's, it's we didn't like do an America and do manifest destiny across the middle of the damn country. We got to Alice Springs and went, look, we'll set up a tiny little servo here in a milk bar, and that's it. I'm pissing off back to the coast. Yeah, we've all agreed there's nothing here, right? Yep. <laughs> all right, we'll head back to the coast. Yeah, we don't have a huge amount of fertile land in the middle of our country. A huge amount of is uninhabitable desert. Mm. Like... I'm sure a lot of people think that rural Australia is entirely represented by the one corrugated iron windmill they put into <laughs> every friggin' thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, I grew up in, you know, uh, looking at um, hay barrels and jumping barbed wire fences out on, you know, lumpy cow paddocks. And, yeah. and you know, you never really see that side of rural Australia in these, like, heavily funded projects. 
No, the only time you do is if it's an indie film about someone murdering someone because you know, Oh yeah, murder happens all the time in rural Victoria. Snow town and, and weird sort of incestuous relationships, <laughs> all this weird dark stuff. They're like, put it in the rural sphere. I don't want it in my city, you know? Exactly not. No, uh it's um we've got our own kind of version of the evil hillbilly um yeah. stereotype. Yeah. Country country I think Wolf Creek did it. Wolf Creek done it to us. Wolf Creek, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now no one can break out of it. Now it's like, yeah. <laughs> Al Bogan is a hillbilly, if you will. Yeah, so. well, I, and it's interesting that, just hearkening back to what you said about Australian comedy, I think it is interesting because internationally, I believe Australia has a fairly good reputation for being, you know, lighthearted, funny people. Oh, yeah. So it's so strange to me that we don't have a bigger international representation in the comedy scene. Mm. Um, but I guess we'll wait and see. Like, hopefully, like, as you said, we'll become uh, a safe film island um, mm. and we'll continue to practice safe standards for filming in Australia. Yeah. Um, we're already offering a huge amount of, like, I think, di like, dividends and tax breaks and stuff. So mm. companies will come out here. We've got mm. Marvel films that have been filmed out here. Um, you know, me and you, like, I, I can speak for yeah. both of us, I hope, are very excited about any kind of industry coming down. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's really interesting because that, that point you made about comedy, Australia has an exceptional history and an exceptional wealth of stand-up comedians and, mm. and that sort of comedy. And we're incredibly witty naturally. I think what, what happens is when we make a film that is comedic, if it's tailored towards the Australian audience, it will do very well. And it will even do well in places like the UK and maybe to some extent, you know, uh, Canada, like the castle did. But if we try and make a film that appeals to the US market or is a US funded production shot in Australia and is comedic, it doesn't work with Australian audiences because, you know, stand up comedy is, is a conversational sort of thing too. Like it's a performance, but it is very much endemic of you're still being a human. Once you put all the elements into a film, you lose the effectiveness of this is Australian culture or it's American culture with Australians doing it. So it just doesn't translate either way. It's a bit like I, I, that's that's a that's a fair point. I look honestly, I think like our comedic style, and I say our, it's hard to like categorize mm. twenty million people, but um, I feel like typically a, a lot of the great comedy that I've enjoyed has a huge amount of improvisation to it. Mm. Um, so if I think of like online content creators that have made it big, like Auntie Donna, yeah. um, they do sketches that have just ingrained with them a unrelenting amount of improv and organic comedy um and you know i think that that's a really really big part of what makes those successful and i think we lose mm. that when we go into really high budget really curated pro uh projects you know yeah well mate look i think that is perfect and that really sums up everything i mean i i want to have you back on and we'll talk about some some more things i think some older films but like we were just sort of discussing before the show and uh mate i can't wait so thank you so much again not a problem. Thanks for having me, mate. All right. All the best and uh, speak to you soon. And well, to our listeners, we'll uh, speak to you soon sort of thing too. All right. All the best.